This is Brian Oates, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Erskine, Minnesota. We are pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Whitney Pittman and Tyler Donaldson. Farm bill remains in limbo until the budget allocation is locked down. Farm groups have asked for an increase in reference prices, but pro-farmer Washington policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer says that will be a big lift. To raise those reference prices, 10% cost $20 billion. To raise them 20%, it cost $50 billion. And they're, it's, they're having a hard time finding the money. Senate Agriculture Committee Chair Debbie Stabenow has proposed a choice between the current ARC-PLC program or a souped-up area-wide crop insurance program. At the Ag Country Farm Credit Services Ag Focus Conference, Wiesmeyer said that plan won't go anywhere. The House Agriculture Committee Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson is hard at work on the farm bill. His speaker right now, Mike Johnson, wants a bill because they have to show that they can actually do work uh, in the House. But uh, G.T. Thompson has said he will not release what they call a chairman's mark, that's really the farm bill language, until the House is in for three consecutive weeks. And that's not gonna happen until March at the earliest. Legislators in Minnesota will head back to St. Paul on Monday as the next legislative session gets underway. Minnesota Farmers Union Vice President Ann Schwagel says this session will be a lot different than last year, but the organization will stay focused on key issues. It's not a budget year. We don't have the same surplus that we were looking at last year, but still a really important session for us to kind of keep our eyes on the ball for some key priorities that Minnesota Farmers Union members have wanted us to, to keep working on, finishing the job on things that got started but left incomplete in 2023. The two kind of big highest uh, priority things would be the getting right to repair legislation for farm equipment across the finish line for farmers and for small business owners in rural communities. The other thing that we're really looking at very closely is getting the Minnesota Care public option across the finish line. Movement was made for healthcare accessibility in the last session, but Schwagel says final work needs to be done. This would allow farmers and small business owners to buy into Minnesota Care to make insurance more affordable and accessible. We know as farmers that we're disproportionately buying buying health insurance on the exchanges, which is more expensive and for less coverage. And we want farmers to have access to affordable, accessible health insurance. There was a statistical difference between Brazil's soybean production numbers and the USDA supply and demand report and Brazil's CONAB. Martinson Ag Risk Management President Randy Martinson says the USDA has a history of slow walking these numbers. Things, I mean, they're a little bit slower on making their adjustments and making their changes. But, you know, you, you, we took the fact of what, um, you know, China said for their uh, estimates for corn, uh, you know, for their ending stocks. Why aren't we looking at what CONAB is saying and trusting those numbers? They're basically boots on the ground, so you would expect that they would know a little bit more. But USDA just seems to be a little bit less uh, willing to push the numbers like, uh, like CONAB is. Martinson says USDA will slowly move toward the CONAB numbers.
we're going to see, you know, monthly updates coming from the CONAB. So I think the next one will be a little more important. And USDA, I think, will slowly start to catch up, especially now that they're into harvest with their soybean crop and with their first corn crop. That'll, I think, help USDA make be willing to make adjustments a little more aggressive. Um, and then we're also seeing where the planting is going to be for the second crop. Speaking at the Ag Country Farm Credit Services Ag Focus Conference, agmarket.net co-founder Matt Bennett says there is a chance for December corn to top $5 per bushel. I do think that you've got a chance to get this market off its feet, but my big fear is this. If you get a rally, but the safrina crop is good enough, I'm not saying it's got to be a banger, but it's decent, and then you come in here with 91, 92, 93 million acres, you've seen the balance sheet, you've seen how it's going to react. What do you think the price of corn is going to be next October? I've got a real fear that we could be looking at sub $4 corn. It's possible. And so we have to have a game plan for that. If you tell me, well, 470 doesn't work very good, I ask you, well, how's 4 work? Low production and herd numbers have beef prices near all-time highs. According to NDSU Extension Livestock Marketing Economist Tim Petrie, these headwinds haven't slowed down beef exports very much. With exports, we've faced some headwinds, obviously, this year because our beef production last year was down 5%, and prices are record high, and therefore those are headwinds for exports. They're still doing very well. Probably last year was the third highest year ever, but... You know, we're facing the same headwinds this year. And also, you know, the dollar value is high and some other uh, things. So, but all in all, uh, you know, given the lower beef production, higher prices, uh, exports are still hanging in there really well, just not as high as the record in 2002. Petrie expects herd rebuilding to be a slow process. Just at the end of 2022, 76% of our beef cow herd was in drought, and so we'd had four years of liquidation. This last year was the fifth year of liquidation, all because of drought. End of 2022, like I said, 76% drought. Now the drought monitor that uh, just came out today shows only uh, 18% of our beef cow herd is in drought. So we've seen significant improvement in the last year. So there is interest in herd rebuilding, but it's going to be slow. North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, we're all higher on uh, replacement heifers than we had last year. So that, that's an indication that it's starting, but it's going to be slow. Ever Ag Market Analyst Cole Adams says the livestock markets look firmer. So we've been seeing an uptick in this market here, especially on the cash side of things over the course of this week. Uh, live cattle in particular got up to a 62.5% retracement on this April board. Kind of been struggling around there for the most part of this week, but also as you kind of look at it, we've been on a heck of a run over the last three weeks. So maybe kind of topping out short term um, on the cattle side of things. This is the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. According to the head of a major container shipping company, the military is not able to guarantee the safety of shipping in the region. Maersk CEO Vince Cleric says the threat is increasing in response to the war in Gaza. Houthi rebels have been targeting commercial ships since October. With over 20% of U.S. farm products being exported overseas, expanding market access for producers is a critical area of focus heading into 2024. 
Land O'Lakes Vice President of Government and Industry Relations, Matt Woolman, discusses how improvements in trade relations can help U.S. farmers. We are uh, really focused on how do we expand market access. And, you know, just recently, uh, Beth Ford, who is our president and CEO at, at Land O'Lakes, uh, joined the President's Export Council. And this council includes about uh, 27 members of various different industry sectors uh, across the country. And she is the lone ag voice uh, on that on that council. And we uh, worked with uh, a group of, of ag stakeholders um, across the spectrum to put together uh, a series of recommendations uh, for the administration. Expanding trade markets would provide more avenues for U.S. farm exports. You know, there's a number of different um, you know, key markets that, that we should be focusing on, especially as we look uh, what this shifting trade environment, this geopolitical shift that's going on in the world, and and how do we, um, you know, build those relationships with with markets that are are looking to provide opportunities for for U.S. farm products, but also you know are aligned in terms of uh, you know some of the security agreements uh, across the world as well. More acres are devoted to wheat production than any other food crop worldwide. Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin addressed the Bayer Crop Science Cereal Experts Conference in Prior Lake, Minnesota, and said the United States needs the resources to, comp- to compete globally. We're competing against growers from around the world for these for these growing markets. You know, like, uh, the total wheat consumption has increased over 100 million metric tons over the last 10 years. We need to make sure that we're not minimizing the United States' role in being able to participate in those markets. And I think it really starts with making sure that we have the right tools in place with genetics, crop protection tools, uh, and the right policies in place uh, to protect wheat when it is in our cropping systems. Like other commodities, wheat benefits from foreign market development and market access funding in the Farm Bill. Gilpin's pessimism is evident when discussing a new Farm Bill. It's one thing when we have infighting going on across the aisle, but when you have infighting within uh, political parties like we're seeing right now, it's uh, uh, it's hard to get too optimistic about really trying to get good policy initiatives move forward. And so that's going to be really our challenge as far as our association side of things and how we work with our legislators and, our legislators and our national organizations to uh, really, because we have to be collectively all on the same page from the grower agriculture standpoint to make sure that we can push forward the right policies that are going to impact and have the best value uh, and farm safety net uh, procedures for our, for our farmers. American Sugar Bee Growers Association Vice President of Science and Innovation, Nick Storer, is in his second month on the job. Storer is focused on crop protection technologies and the regulatory process. People at the EPA don't have a good feel for what's really happening on the farm. And that's why some of the regulations that come out or the proposals that come out don't make sense from a, from a practical standpoint. So how do we change that conversation in Washington so that the regulators do start to understand what the challenges are, what the opportunities are for sugar beet farmers, and what are the potential implications of of their regulations on on productivity? And how can we get the EPA to think differently about um, how their regulations can be used to support production as opposed to hinder production? Federal appeals court vacated the EPA ban on chlorpyrifos and says the agency is now working with the companies that produce that product. The tolerances have been restored. 
So um, depending on the state, use of chlorpyrifos is, is again allowed according to the current labels. They're working with the registrants to, to adjust those labels as well to reflect some of the concerns around endangered species. Um, but going forward at, at the moment, check with your state, um, but you should be able to use your, your chlorpyrifos that you already have on the farm today. This is the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Let's catch up with somebody's voice we haven't heard for a while. Mickle, you've got the cover on this week's Ag Week. Tell me about it. Uh, I do. It's, uh, it's about uh, um, Howard Dahl, President and CEO of Amity Technology in, in Fargo that markets and makes sugar beet equipment. But back in 2011 at Ag Week, I went, uh, traveled with Howard, who was selling his Concord drills and his sugar beet equipment in Russia and Ukraine. And it was one of the best moments of my career, actually, going on doing that. Fascinating to see the big uh, country that they farm out uh, over in Russia and Ukraine. And over the years, I've learned that Howard had become um, good friends with a uh, guy that was running a huge farming enterprise in Ukraine called Astarta Kiev. And Astarta Kiev is 600,000 acres of farmland in Ukraine and runs five sugar beet processing plants. And uh, Howard became a board member for Astarta Kiev and, and started as chairman of the board. So here you've got this guy in Fargo, chairman of the board of this company that is trying to farm in the middle of this war over there. So that's the point of the story. You know, I mean, here we you know, worry about how the weather is going to be or the the price of things, but over there you're worried about whether the company, country you're farming in is able to uh, continue in the middle of a war and in the middle of huge fluctuations in currency valuations and other kinds of things. So that's the interview and, and uh, that's the story. Well, Michael, sounds interesting. Looking forward to reading about it in next week's Ag Week and great to hear your voice again. And let's check markets before we leave you. In the Minneapolis, March wheat's up a quarter penny. Chicago, March wheat's up eight cents. And Kansas City, March wheat's up a half. March corn down three and a half cents. And July corn down three. March soybeans down eight cents. May beans down eight three quarters. April live cattle fit five cents higher. And March feeder cattle up ten cents. This is the Red River Farm Network.